Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. Can't you stop saying fuck all the time? Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, Tom Brady and the Patriots play the Falcons in the Super Bowl on Sunday in Houston. Roger Goodell might have to hand Tom Brady the MVP trophy. Very dramatic, very stressful. Anything else going on in the news right now? Yeah, yeah. my, my Twitter feed is nonstop about Apple's earning. Apple had a really good, really, really solid quarter. That's such a huge relief. I know. It was down last year. People were, you know, all doom and gloom. But uh but no, they came back. Um we we're we're laughing to keep from crying, so we're consciously <laughs> not talking about the stu- the shit that's going on with Trump right now. We're just probably you get enough of that. This is an escape and who the hell knows what's gonna be going on in a in a little less than a week when this posts. Yeah, right. We have no idea. So so do what you gotta do. It will, we're here for your entertainment. <laughs> Man, I don't know about. Uh, I don't so know you how know, entertaining we are. Speaking of entertainment, for me and also for I'm sure our listeners just hearing about it, the Patriots are p- practicing at my university where I teach, like just across the street from me. So I went there. Like today, I tried to like scout it out and try to look and try to like. I, I <laughs> have I, they kicked? Have you have you gotten caught jerking I, off on the street? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't gotten caught jerking off, but I have been escorted away from like five different places on campus. Um, <laughs> I went with one of my colleagues, who's just I don't know. He's just sort of interested in seeing how it went. And but we happened to go through a building where we where we. Um, I mean, it happened. This was somewhat planned, but they happened to be coming out of practice right as we were going through the building. I saw Tom Brady. I saw Malcolm Butler. I saw uh, Logan Ryan. It's it was it was kind of amazing, but I was being at the same time hurried out by the UH security. Were, were you like one of those girls who saw the Beatles, like when they f- on the Ed Sullivan show? <laughs> were you, were you just like ah. the best moment of your life? I was like 50, 60 feet from Tom Brady. Like, I'm not responsible for my actions at that point. And Malcolm (laughs) Butler, like, who made, like, the greatest play in all of Patriots history and one of the top five plays of sports history. I have no idea who he is, and that's a really bold claim, but I have such zero interest in it that I'm not even going to challenge you on it because I, I, I bet you the Lakers alone have five better plays. Can you name I them? Guess. I don't totally buy that you're a Lakers fan. 
can I name them? Uh, Magic doing a sky hook to beat you guys in 1987. Yeah. Um, so Derek Fisher nailing a three pointer with what point seven seconds left. Uh, let's see. The Magic sky hook. I'll give you. I don't know about yeah, Derek yeah. Fisher. Point uh, seven seconds to to nail it. Uh, every Robert Ory three pointer ever made. Uh, sh- uh, Kobe for the Rockets. To Shaq <laughs> for the Lakers. He won. He won a bunch of championships with us too. Um, the uh, Kobe to Sha- to Shaq in the comeback was it against the Phoenix Suns? I think in the. Right, now uh, you're reaching. No, Malcolm no, Butler so like Mal- intercepted Mal- on like on the one yard line with <laughs> like less than a minute to go in the Super Bowl. <laughs> we, we've like we've lost oh. everybody. <laughs> we've <laughs> lost <laughs> everybody. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, at least uh, you're not hearing about Trump and <laughs> exactly. some new exec- horrific know, executive order. Li- listening to us talk about Tom Brady and Kobe Bryant is actually a respite. <laughs> you know, something's wrong. <laughs> it could be worse. <laughs> uh, All right. What so, are we talking about today? Today we're talking about moral hypocrisy. Um I, I think moral hypocrisy broadly, but it was motivated by a recent paper and op-ed that was written by um, Jillian Jordan, who's a grad student of David Rand's, a uh, paper written by her and Rosanna Summers, Dave Rand, and Paul Bloom's on the paper, but not on the op-ed. I guess Sorry, was that Rosanna po- Pizarro? Yeah, I'm surprised you don't know her. Yeah, I'm surprised. So, yeah, moral hypocrisy. Um, which yeah, I'm surprised we haven't talked about it directly. I mean, it's gonna, it relates to a lot of the things that we have talked about, obviously. But before we could talk about that, we got an interesting email, some listener feedback from one of our listeners named Ulysses, although he's from Mexico and it spells it with an I, so it's Ulysses. Ulysses. Um, Ulysses. That, um, so I'll, let me read you the relevant part because he primarily addresses it to me because I'm the scientist, as he points out. Yes. Uh, my question is, how the fuck do I come up with a research topic? Like actual scientific research. I'm a psychology undergraduate student in Mexico, halfway to my BS, and I seem to have the opportunity to do some research of my own, which is totally amazing. But I need to come up with a topic or idea first, and I don't really know how to go about doing that. So I was wondering if you guys have any advice on how to like think of something. I feel like I should already have somewhat of a clear idea of a topic, and the fact that I don't means I'm not curious slash passionate slash cut out for science enough. I don't know, but I really want to do it, and I have some vague ideas, but nothing clear. Okay, so first of all, you're a second-year student in psychology. You absolutely don't have to have any idea of what the fuck you're doing. Oh, I was going to say, no, you should get out. You're not passionate enough. You're not. (laughs) That was going to be my advice. Drop out. Yeah, drop out. <laughs> Clearly, you're more interested in like accounting or you? spending your time emailing emailing podcasters. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, but seriously, let's give Ulysses some advice. Okay. And I think this is more. It could be more general advice about how to come up with ideas. I think. I mean, you and I have this problem. Like, how do we come up with ideas for the show? Right. I, I think it's not that different from how to come up with ideas for scientific research or or for a paper topic to tackle in a class. Hey, but but, but he's hard. asking how to start like a research topic for his dissertation, as I understand it, right? He's a, a bachelor. He's a sophomore. Oh. He's a he's a sophomore in college. So he's like the oh. first thing I was going to say is you have plenty of time. <laughs> like, I in fact, he was a second year grad student. No, no, halfway to his BS. 
<clears throat> and so he's getting the opportunity to do research on his own, which is rare um, for, you know, for somebody who's usually like for us, the, only, the, the first chance you get at doing original research is like your senior year honors thesis or something. So, so he's getting the opportunity to do some research on his own. How does he come up with ideas? You know, I, like my real answer is in some sense, it's voodoo. Who the fuck knows? But but I think that yeah. the first thing I think you both both you and I like if you if you're a listener to the show regularly at all you know that one of the primary ways that we we think that this should happen is from reading widely outside the scope of your own narrow interests and consuming media in other forms like so many good ideas out there that that don't come from last year's psychology journals yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think we should separate this because I do think the answer is different for being an undergrad, being a grad student. And this is going to be your dissertation project, you know, being in a class and, and, and coming up with papers projects. Yeah. So let's yeah. maybe separate there. I'd say in college, I you know, I have very mixed feelings about the whole idea of undergraduate research period. You know, there's sort of two camps and one camp is rapidly dwindling. But one camp says, you're you're like 18, 19 years old. You don't know shit right now. You don't need to be right. doing like a very specific research project. You need to be educating yourself about what's out there right now and not trying to conduct original research of your own. And I know that sort of flies against what universities are encouraging and maybe what grad schools are encouraging in their PhD program. But to whatever extent I would say you can avoid doing like committing yourself to some sort of project because it's the opportunity cost of all the things you're going to miss uh, and i do think that's how people get a little bit too narrowly focused um too like starting early on. out <laughs> there's some tension here and i've had i've had conversations where i disagree with some of my colleagues about this so I think you're right that at this early stage in your career, what you ought to be doing is reading and getting up to speed about various topics, even in early grad school. Really, I, yeah. I, I really do believe that you have to know what other people have done bef before starting up. So just read, 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 read on the stuff that you're interested in or else you're in danger of, of reinventing the wheel in, in, a, in a derivative and bad way. Right. Um, at worst and at best, you convince some people that you're original, but but in fact, no progress is really being made in the field. Um, and I don't think that's a good thing. I really do think that, that you are. even I, you know, I it was invaluable to me the first two years that I was in grad school. I didn't really have an advisor who was looking looking out for me. There was no real apprenticeship model from there's nobody I w could learn from because there there was just a lack of faculty members the person I was supposed to work with had left and so I just read I spent pretty much two years just reading everything I could on moral judgment yeah. and to this day like you know those papers really shaped the way that I th think about things and, and pretty much stopped reading after that yeah I mean I same thing with me in grad school first two years just took classes and I thought I was going to do hardcore into philosophy of biology when I started, just because that's just what I thought. I wasn't committed to anything and started to get interested in other things the more classes I took, um, and especially the free will moral responsibility debate. So that's how I turned to it. But again, 
part of the reason I was able to be that flexible is precisely because I wasn't too c committed to one sort of project. So right, I, I right. strongly endorse that. And by the time you do a PhD, you you will be t talking and uh, and writing about a narrow piece of a narrow piece of a narrow piece of a puzzle. So you'll you'll have plenty of time to narrow narrow your interests. But I also think that like in doing psychology or probably in any field of research, you it's really good to to work with somebody who can just tell you, "Hey, we're doing this research project. Here's what I want you to do." Cuz you have to learn the trade. You have yeah. to learn how to do it. Um, and the way that you best, really it is like an apprenticeship model. I think that you have to pay attention to, to all sorts of details and soak in all of the tacit knowledge of a field. Um, and the best way to do that is to just be guided by somebody. And um, that's more, I think, in psychology, just because there's, there's more technique to it in terms right. of just stuff that you have to learn how to do, the mechanics of it, whereas philosophy... There's not as much of that, and to the extent that there is, it's not totally clear that a mentor can help you. Yeah, I, I think um, with writing is is one way that a that a that a good mentor can can help a student. But one thing yeah. I think we both agree on though is, don't choose your research topic strategically because you think it'll position you well for the job market or for grad school or for whatever it is that yeah. you're trying to achieve. I see a ton of grad students doing that. It, I just think that it, people way overestimate their abilities to game the market. You know, like you can't yeah, predict yeah. what's going to be popular three four years down the line but no but if, if you study it, what's like the hot shit right now like who knows it might yeah. be like a widely mocked area of research like by exactly. the time you get around <laughs> in philosophy that's what chances are it will be the the, the but the bigger point is that you want to you want to work on something that you care about that you're passionate about that that, that you love that this is this is why we're doing this stuff if you're thinking about strategy like that's that's the strategy. P Peter Ditto, my postdoc advisor, I think said it best to me, and I've probably said this before. No one's going to pay you enough to do some shit you don't want to do, like to yeah. do shit you don't like to do, especially not in academia. So you, you're you signing up for, for some misery if you're doing things just because you think other people are going to give you a job for it. Um, if you like it genuinely, you'll be – it won't be so miserable to stay up those late nights writing that paper um, that you have to write, you know, trying to put together your tenure packet – if your tenure packet is on shit that you really have enjoyed working on, it will shine through. Now, I will say as a caveat, there are times where you probably want to um, be a little more strategic. So we we have students who need to choose a writing sample to send to grad to PhD programs in our MA programs. Yeah. Right? Although I always tell my students in my classes, write about what you care about. When I'm on the writing workshop for the the writing samples. I have been converted to the be a little more strategic camp and pick a <laughs> right. topic that is going to be so sometimes and and it's different like sometimes they they choose a paper that's just you know it's too many people are going to dismiss it as not philosophy other times they choose a paper that's way too technical and only two out of you know however many people 10 12 14 people on that committee 
that will have right. any idea what the fuck this guy's talking about. Um, so right. there, I think there's some room for strategy with guidance from your professors. And well, that's you know that's one thing um, in terms of advice for graduate students who are on the job market too that I think is is all also happens in psychology. We we don't we don't generally submit writing samples. I mean, so you publish papers and then but you put together a research statement. Um, yeah sort of saying what you do and i think that is a mistake that people make is that they get too technical and i i I had to learn the list this lesson myself i think the hard way the first time around i i think i had a research statement that was just too narrow that um and the people on the job committee are across sometimes they're not even in in your discipline sometimes they have an outside like uh i had on my job committee there was a philosopher at cornell when i got hired uh tamar gendler and if you can't write a statement that can be easily understood by people doing studying rats uh, as well as studying normative ethics, uh, then you're doing yourself a disservice. So don't yeah. try to be too too fancy. Right, right yeah. in plain speak. Um, but that said, I think Ulysses is is, a, is asking a question that we might not be answering, which is where do you when you go where do you go to get from zero to like hey this sounds like an interesting thing to to think and talk about. Um, and and I do think that that is a hard thing to teach because I don't know if you see it in, in your students, undergrad or even in, in a graduate program, where um, one of two errors can occur. One is that you come up with something you think is nifty and you're so arrogant that you don't even bother to read the literature and know that there's a ton of people who have already worked on this problem because you're like, oh, this episode of The Wire made me think about the problem of whatever. Um, That's me. But the other, like yeah. <laughs> I'm that student. The other problem is that you read, uh, you you get a student who just like reads one paper and then another paper and says, oh, this paper was on X and this paper was on Y. No one's looked at X and Y together. And so the paper starts out with like, you know, Summers, 2012, argued this, whereas Pizarro, 2011, argued this. Nobody has bothered to look at these two things together. And it's like, wait, that's not fun. That's not interesting. That's just, right. or like in psychology, <laughs> it's, it's like, like the effects of X on Y, right? There's a like good the reason nobody thought to <laughs> exactly. put these things it's, together. It's, it's odd that nobody in the history of, <laughs> of Western thought has thought about the effects of cognitive dissonance on urination stream. Um, yeah, I like it's funny like and I've probably done this and I'm sure I have in my papers, but I find that it to be a particularly annoying trope when you take something and then you you make it sound like a scandal that nobody has <laughs> yes. like, examined this very arcane almost randomly thrown together yeah. set of surprisingly <laughs> to date. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how how to motivate the project sounds. No, I mean, that's a good question, and I think it's a really hard question, and that's probably the most common question when students are coming up with, you know, in a seminar, what do they want to do their final essay about? They're like, I, how do I come up with an idea here? It's It's really hard to articulate an answer. For one thing, I don't think there is a general answer. I think, no. uh, you know, hopefully something 
that you read over the course of the semester just bugged you and you want to get to the bottom of it you know there's some question that that's actually a good that's a good heuristic like it bugged you it yeah. got there's some it did something to you where you yeah. like didn't quite agree or you thought there was something incomplete or or or, or missing or right yeah if it bought if it if it went out of its way to bother you then there's something to to investigate yeah there's something to explore there there's some finding people who will be critical and tell you when something's a good idea or when it's not is is hard is also difficult but you should do it and i think that one of the things at least in psychology and maybe other empirical sciences to attend and in, in philosophy i guess the analog would be to go going to talks uh, or workshops or whatever but just go to these like lab meetings um, attend them and see how people are thinking about something. Th that's when everybody's sort of showing their, like the ugly side of the research or the the um, you know the tough part. Uh, they're throwing around ideas, and if you attend more than one lab meeting, I think you get a really really good perspective, a bird's eye view of the field from people who are working currently on some of these problems, and and I think you soak in a whole lot that way. Yeah, um, and find people you trust who are further along in the careers not too far along that they're completely disconnected from what's going on but <laughs> not like, like they're, they're doing a podcast in their time <laughs> instead of like actually mentoring people yeah like it's like it's an unofficial mentor so for me it was sean nichols sean nichols is the guy i would call whenever Fuck i had a question guy. uh <laughs> no he's gonna be on the <laughs> podcast but he, he he constantly loves to trash the podcast did i tell yeah. you we were listening to a talk and it was just a really boring metaphysics talk, and we were at this <laughs> conference, and then all of a sudden I get this email from him saying, I'd rather be listening to Very Bad Wizards. <laughs> <laughs> that bad, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he was the person I would always call for advice on, you know, how should I do this project? Like, if I was putting together a book proposal, could you send me your book proposal so I could look at a model of it? And, you know, to have these people right. who you trust, who are a little kind of like-minded, but just savvier about the profession, which is something I'm definitely not. He's like Sean. Sean's like your Paul Bloom. Like to me well paul bloom um, is also or paul bloom is also your problem <laughs> yeah that's yeah. that's the final piece of advice maybe we should give is just to ask <laughs> just paul bloom to, what you talk should talk to what? paul bloom <laughs> <laughs> all you one time i came to paul uh, i have this idea I, I really think it's interesting um and i pr i proposed the idea it would involve an experiment and he's like huh let me think about that he comes back to me the next time we talked and he said you know I just don't think it would be interesting. And I said, but but the way I've designed the experiment is it could come out the exact opposite. And here, so here's an experiment that could be like either one way or the other, and it would be interesting. He's like, yeah, it, it wouldn't be interesting either way. <laughs> 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 I was like, fine, fuck you. <laughs> He's probably right. Fuck you, go write your empathy book. It'll piss a bunch of people off. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, he, I'll tell you my Paul Bloom story. If, if I have, I don't know if I've told it before, but I through through this podcast act and through you actually also, and this agent asked emailed me and said, "Do you want to write a trade book, which is like a book that's for wider audiences?" I said, "Sure." He's like, "All right, well, do you have any topics?" And I said, "Let me get back to you." And so I called Paul Bloom because he's written a bunch of these things and i <laughs> said and i gave him a bunch like justice i have this idea about justice should be personal not impartial he's like okay yeah so I, well i could write a book on i feel like everyone's writing a f their free will book but 
He's like, yeah, everyone kind of is. And uh, <laughs> and I, I went through a bunch of, well, what about the theory of retributivism? He's like, nothing from him. And then he said, you know, it's funny. I would have thought if someone told me you were writing a trade book, I would have thought it would have been on honor because that seems like what you talk about that's <laughs> most interesting. What you, I was like, honor, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I do talk and think a lot about that. And I have a couple of papers that... Uh, <laughs> Then that, and then I pitched, you know, to the agent, and that was the only one he had any interest in. So, <laughs> no, I know. He's, he's, crazy. he's Like crazy. the other ones, he was like, "No, fuck, no justice." I talked to people around the office about justice. They don't want to hear. They don't want to. They don't want another justice. <laughs> he's like, "Free will, no. Don't even get it. Don't even start." All right. All right. But thanks, yeah. Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Find your own Paul Bloom. Don't. <laughs> so so anyway, I hope that helped. Uh, also, watch The Wire. All right, we'll be back to talk about moral hypocrisy. Let me sing this song to you. Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. We'd just like to take a moment to thank our listeners for their support, for getting in touch with us. You can get in touch with us, verybadwizards at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook and participate in a conversation on Facebook. We always post our episodes, and sometimes there's a nice, lively comment feed there, which we like. You can rate us on iTunes. You can tweet us, at Tamler, at Pease, or at Very Bad Wizards. If you want to support us in more tangible ways, you can go to our support page on our website and... Click on the Amazon link before you shop, and whatever you get on Amazon, we'll get a small cut of that. We really appreciate those. You can PayPal us um, a one-time donation, or you can become a Patreon supporter. And, well, we love all our supporters, but we have a special love for our Patreon supporters. (laughs) You go to patreon.com slash verybadwizards. You can sign up for several levels. We're... We're thinking of adding more levels. We're just having trouble thinking what the rewards will be for those levels. If any listeners for a million dollars, you can sleep with Tamler. How's that? (laughs) Would you do it? Would you do that? What is this like indecent proposal? But yeah, exactly. Demi Moore. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> Would I sleep with Robert Redford for a million dollars? I don't think so. Oh, that's too easy. That's too easy. <laughs> More like a black mirror. The question is <laughs> what I would do to go to the Super Bowl. Like, <laughs> oh, God, you would take Super Bowl tickets over a million dollars. You probably would. You, you know, it's nobody who listens to us right cares. Now. Nobody listens to us cares about football or your love of football or Tom Brady. They barely know that the Patriots are a thing. It's it's That's it's an incredible true. incredible blind spot that you have. All right, you know? tweet uh, at Pease <laughs> and tell him how wrong he is about that. I think they want an all Patriots episode. Uh, it's like of <laughs> very bad wizards. Um, just to talk break down Deflategate and why that's such that's such bullshit. Anyway, um, you can yeah, so you can support us on Patreon and. We have a very exciting campaign going on in addition on Teespring with some new T-shirts that Dave is going to tell you about right now. Yeah, so you can go to Very Bad Wizards, uh, to our to our homepage, VeryBadWizards.com, and uh, there's a now a tab called Store. But we have our um, a number of items up for sale still um, in a variety of styles. And thank you, everybody who's ordered. We've had quite a few orders. Um, it is a new design. It is our repugnant design. There are two versions of it. One is is totally beating out the other one. But um, just so you know, there are two designs. You'll see them both on the store. There's one black and white plain design. Um, that else, there are also other colors. So dig around. There are mugs. There are stickers that cover your nakedness with some very bad wizard's love. And by the time the this comes out, there'll be less than a week in this campaign, yeah. right? So it's, yep, yep. so definitely look through that, and there are different colors. There's tank tops. There's um, <laughs> so Bella wanted your, uh, a mint yep. green tank top. <laughs> Eliza sent us an email calling us like PC for not having a pink T-shirt. My uh, daughter. So I think of my course you wanted pink. You indoctrinated your daughter to love pink. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we got a tweet, and we're definitely doing an episode part two. Rat like of our famous <coughs> fight, the episode where we really threw down. It's uh, <laughs> rounded brains and toy diets or something. I, I don't remember. Play diets. Play diets. And but there was a new study that just came out that rhesus. No, no, that paper was in two thousand eight. It's just somebody yeah. just found it. Well, yeah, a new tweet just came out that <laughs> directed me to this paper. Uh, so I thought it might be fun to to do that for an opening segment or maybe a main segment we'll see it, yeah. there's probably some issues with the methodology of the study uh, maybe on to the main topic all right so moral hypocrisy so that yeah we want to talk inspired in part by this paper that recently came out by uh jillian jordan rosanna summers dave rand paul bloom and an op-ed by everybody but paul bloom um on hypocrisy we thought we'd tackle <clears throat> this question of moral hypocrisy and some of the claims uh, and evidence in this paper, but maybe just more broadly the problem of moral hypocrisy. And 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 so Tamler, I know that you you're going to get into some some specifics about what it means to be a moral hypocrite. But I want to tell a little story. This is going to give a shout out to a former grad student, Clayton Critcher, who's now a professor at Berkeley School of Management. I got in an argument with him many years ago, um, and I think he convinced me. And his claim was that. Uh, People are wrong to care so much about when somebody is a moral hypocrite because why does it matter if you do or do not follow your own sort of moral the, the moral standards that you express? Suppose that I say, hey, 
slavery is wrong, it's horrible, nobody should have slaves. Uh, and I secretly keep a slave. Well, on his claim, <laughs> yeah, like, it's not wait. the most impressive. Yeah. Um, in your closet over there. It's a sexy slave. It's, a, it's the gimp. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the gimp's sleepy. Um, well, you make a, you could make a gimp exception. It would be a little ad hoc. But <laughs> <laughs> That's my motivated reasoning, the gimp exception. to it. Um, So, of course, there is the moral infraction that I'm committing that's bad. Everybody agrees about that. But me actually going around preaching to everybody that slavery is wrong is probably doing some good. It certainly doesn't seem to be the case that this is a worse thing that I am going around telling people that it's wrong, um, even though I don't abide by my own rules. Right. So, um, so I guess every I think you know I've always had the gut reaction that a moral hypocrite is a horrible thing, um, but. And maybe here I'm just adopting a more consequentialist take. Well, so I think you are, but I think there's a reason why. Because I I, I understand what you're saying for this, and I'm pulled in that direction too. But I think it matters how serious the transgression is. And once the transgression, like slavery, is is so terrible (laughs) that the consequences of eliminating it are so great that it overwhelms anything that might be sort of intrinsically wrong or non-virtuous about the hypocrisy. It's interesting as we as we get to the paper that the transgressions they're talking about are pretty minor. They're pretty minor, right? So yeah, so that, like at least how I lead it out is kind of how they set up how they set the stage um for this puzzle. They say on, you know, in their op-ed I'm quoting here um, the dislike of hypocrisy is emotionally intuitive, but if you pause to think about it, it constitutes a psychological puzzle. If you believe it's important to protect the environment, shouldn't you be glad your coworker is promoting the right values, even if he himself is wasteful? Logically speaking, there's nothing dishonest about condemning an action and also engaging in it. So why does criticizing th- something make it seem worse to do it oneself? There's a lot to, to unpack there. You have to think that this colleague condemning people who don't recycle isn't probably going to be doing much good towards saving the environment you know <laughs> the the world's is not going to either be destroyed or saved based on what this colleague does and in fact th- so that's why i think the sort of the the consequentialist aspect of this is virtually nil Right. So so you might say, OK, well, if his preaching around that waste is is bad, um, doesn't have any positive consequences, then then it doesn't it doesn't override the bad of the moral hypocrisy. But let's just say it's neutral, like it's whatever, like nobody. Yeah. It's not as if he's causing people to waste more. Right. Um, he's just not having any effect. Is it any worse that he is preaching the, the moral principle of not being wasteful? Um is it any worse than him just being wasteful that he also preaches that one ought not be wasteful? So according to them, people find it to be, right? Uh, they right. find that someone who's just wasteful and preaches against it, people rate as worse, as morally worse than someone who is just wasteful and doesn't preach against it. And someone who just says 
says right. that they always recycle, but then never recycles. But doesn't preach against it. Just says, oh, yeah. They I, just I, lie about I, it. Just lie about <laughs> it. Yeah. Right. So right. the moral hypocrite is the person who actually condemns it, morally condemns this um, this practice while engaging it at the same time. And in 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 all their cases, they come off worse. And when we say they come out worse, um, this is across five studies. These were um, surveys. Uh, studies or experiments done on MTurk. And so they asked people a series of vignettes where they specified, for instance, in one case, um, somebody is a member of a sports team um, and they deflate football. No. And they um, <laughs> they are talking about performance-enhancing drugs. And so they say, you know, imagine that you're talking to this guy who says it's, it's wrong to use performance-enhancing drugs. Um, but in some cases, you know that he actually does. Um, and what they ask you is um, a series of questions like, how likely do you think Brian is to use performance-enhancing drugs in the future? How much would you trust him as a competitor on your team? How much would you generally trust Brian across context? Brian's the name of the character. How much do you like Brian? And I think it's important to note that all of the questions that they ask, they're what they then combine to make this overall evaluation of the person are questions really about about character, about moral character, right. ab about this this person. So nowhere is it asking. Um, so what they find, like what Tamler said, is across a few studies, people think that he is worse if he said that it's wrong, but nonetheless does it. They think that at, he's even worse than the person who does it and just lies about doing it. Like, I don't do performance-enhancing drugs, but then you find out that, that he did. Because they claim that the, the moral condemnation is a false virtue signal. And we, we think that it's worse to send out that false virtue signal than it is to just lie about it without including the virtuous part. Right. This is, in some ways, an extension or a special case, maybe an obvious case of moral grandstanding. It, it, it's sort of proof that the only reason that you are condemning an action is to make yourself look good in front of your colleagues. It's, I guess it's not proof that you're moral grandstanding, but it's strong evidence that I think, think. Right. So I think that at the very least you can say because there could be cases where you really firmly believe it like you know and you just have weakness of will like you, yeah. you know you're just like don't don't ever like cheating on your spouse is wrong and then you just fucked up right yeah. you do it or um, you order a burger at a place where it might be factory farm burgers even though <laughs> you're strongly opposed to all factory farm don't burgers. ask don't tell so not i saying I anybody here has done that but it's possible no, certainly not the vegetarian i'm not saying that i chewed on my spouse either by the way <laughs> Um, but uh, uh, but I think it is descriptively it's taken as a cue that you must what you mean when you morally condemn you know the world for engaging in a particular behavior is that you deeply hold this as a value I think you know this is this is where I think it aligns nicely with the talk about uh, about um, moral grandstanding that we take at face value a moral expression to be some sort of communication about your deep values. Yeah. And when your behavior go is clearly um, contradicts those moral values, then then there's something wrong. And I think in the grandstanding case, 
if you also think that there are, there, there are other reasons to believe that this is not a true expression of those values, then, then it's extra annoying. So, and not to go all evolutionary psychology on you, but you can sort of see why it's important to be able to trust people and trust their, that they'll stand behind what they believe, morally speaking, that if they speak out, you know, um, against a, a norm transgressor, that is should be a reliable signal to you that they're not going to transgress that yeah, norm themselves. Right. And if, if it's you, a better it, signal even than just saying, like, you know, I don't do it. I right? don't do it. It's, right. Exactly. Yeah. So but the whole system breaks down, the whole system of norm enforcement breaks down if people are out of one side of their mouth condemning the norm transgression and then on and then later committing that same right. transgression. So I there's an there's an anecdote um, that this reminded me of. Richard Feynman at some point tells this story about pulling a prank. I think he was in college in his college dorm. And I think I could be wrong about the details, um, but I think the prank was something like um, they removed the door of somebody's dorm, like they unscrewed the door from its hinges and hid it. And um, people kind of got upset at this prank. Feynman had actually pulled it. And so they were like, okay, somebody, whoever did this, return the door. It's not cool. And nobody would admit to it. So they, all of the guys in this dorm convened and they're like, all right, nobody's, nobody's owning up to this. We're going to look everybody square in the eye. We're going to go down the list and we're going to ask people, did you do this or not? And if you lie, then you're kind of an ass, right? So they go down. And so people say, no, no, I did not take the door off. They get to Feynman. And Feynman, he doesn't say no. Rather, he launches into a tirade where he says, okay, guys, we've gone far enough. This is not cool. It, whoever has done, like, whoever did this should really say that they did it um, because you've taken it too far. And well, like, so he, he just launches in this moral condemnation speech, yeah. never actually saying that he didn't do it. And they move on from him. Right. And so he says that he nobody ever found out that it was him. And even years later, when he when he told people the story, they said, like, no, you, I, I thought you said that you didn't do it. But he says, no, no, I went out of my way to not admit that I didn't that that I hadn't done it. And there's something about that that is so ec it's extra convincing. <laughs> right. It's both extra shady and extra yeah, yeah. He's a, like he's more effective. Of an ass. Yeah. He's more of an ass for having done that than than if he had just said, well, you know. No. But it's but it's more effective. Like this is how those steroids people got away with it for so long is not only were they denying that they've done steroids, but a lot of them were really appalled by the idea of people doing steroids and they would speak out <laughs> right. against it. This is what Lance Armstrong did. And this is what Roger Clemens did. And, you know, what's his name? Waving a finger. Um what, what was that baseball player that waved a finger at the cr congressional committee? Like, you know, they would get very indignant right. about it. And, you know, I think that is convincing because I think the, the, the thought process is there's no way if given what he just said that he would actually engage in it. He can't be that much of a hypocrite. And it turns out they were. And so, you know, the thing about it is it probably increases your chances of getting away with whatever you're doing. But right. it also makes it 
much, much worse if you are caught. Like when Andy Pettit, who hadn't done that, just admitted that he had done HDH, everyone was like, ah, okay, fine. Like, because he hadn't right. been a hypocrite about it. He had, he maybe he's like quietly denied that he had done it, then he got caught, and then he took his, you know, punishment, and nobody cared. But like the people like Clemens and Bonds, who, well, Clemens especially, who were really, really angry about the steroid use and also being accused, those are the people that really got it. You know, it's funny that Barry Bonds' honest signal was really just the size of his gargantuan yeah. head. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, come on. <laughs> um, it's super distasteful. Um, yeah. But I wonder why we have this lay theory that that ought to be hard. On this theory of signaling, like the Bob Frank theory that we've talked about many times about emotion, it uh, a, a signal is valuable is especially valuable when it's hard to fake. And right. moral indignation isn't very hard to fake. And I wonder why we think that this must be a genuine expression. It's like it really does. You know, the Feynman story, it really would convince me. That would be like extra evidence. Like, yeah, yeah he couldn't. And I wonder if it's just because do we have some lay theory that the dissonance, like the discomfort uh, or the the sort of tacit self-condemnation that you would be bringing um, is is too aversive that nobody in their right mind would do it. But I always wonder when you're in the head of one of these, you know, caught moral hypocrites, are they faking? So maybe moral indignation is hard to fake. What's not hard to do is to get yourself genuinely indignant right. about something that you might know in the very deep recesses of your mind right. that you also engage in. Uh, yeah. And I guess that's point, faking of a certain way, but I, I've always gotten the sense that people really are indignant when they do it, and then the rationalization comes sort of afterwards when they're engaging in the behavior. Right. It's sort of like, uh, you know, Dan Ariely makes this point about cheat cheating. When you when you look across all these studies, it's not that people are lying when th when they can get paid for responding to a total 20 possible math answers, um, and they actually got eight. They don't say they got 20. They say they got nine or 10. And so maybe what we're saying to ourselves, is, oh, cheating is totally wrong. I mean, but it's different than from what I did, which is like I almost I almost got that ninth one. So it's OK. So <laughs> right. so maybe before you even get to the expression, you fooled yourself in some effective way that preserves your sincerity. You're like, you know, total cheating is wrong. But no, I was just recovering from an injury. And I and I realized, like, you know, this this if i keep doing this it's good for me or something like that you know um the self-deception might be really heavily playing into this i i think it is and i think so so when lance armstrong is in his indignant stage i he's probably you know genuinely outraged that the sport is being plagued with um with steroid use and that it's hard for people to stay clean and compete at that level. And then when he's b actually doing steroids, he's probably thinking, well, this is, you know, what the sport has reduced everybody to. And, <laughs> right, you know, right. like, I, I got to do it. Everybody's doing it. And, I mean, I don't know. If I had to guess. I mean, really, that's why I never speak out against performance-enhancing drugs. <laughs> no. it's, it's self The self-deception question is hard because, you know, by its very definition you can't have in too much insight <laughs> into it um and 
and it's probably the case that people are doing things like imagining a, an egregious violator. I'll, I'll use my example, you know, of, of my own occasional moral hypocrisy. So I, I feel like when I speak out against factory farming that I'm genuinely against factory farming, right? Like I mm-hmm. really do strongly believe that that's something we'll look back on with deep, deep, deep shame in 30 years, that that's something that is one of the great ills of modern society. And it's also true that every once in a while I'll go out to a restaurant and get something that, you know, you probably either like likely comes from a factory farm. I don't I, I try not to do it. Most of the time I don't do it, but sometimes I do do it. So in one sense, it's a it's a straightforward case of moral hypocrisy. Um, and it's definitely one where it's not that I'm virtue signaling in the sense I, I don't feel like that's my motivation. I do feel at every point, even when I'm ordering the, the whatever, that it's wrong. But I think here's how I could rationalize it to myself and probably have on occasion is I don't speak out against some random person ordering a burger at McDonald's if like that's not the thing that I think is so morally terrible. I think it's the idea that we have this institution and policies that support it in place that make it possible for um, somebody to order a burger. But somebody just going to McDonald's and getting a burger, if that's what they want, isn't the thing that I'm condemning. So if I then at a certain point get, you know, am out to dinner someplace, which isn't like a local, you know, farming uh, restaurant and I get a steak, then I think that, you know, like that's not that was never the thing that I that, that I was condemning exactly in the first place. Is um, that still hypocritical? I mean, I guess it turns on what I was going to say is you just don't have the balls to like go up to somebody at McDonald's and tell them that they're wrong. <laughs> no, I really I mean, don't have any problem with that. Like, you know, I'm not going to tell some I, person who's, you know, like can't afford to go to Whole Foods. <laughs> That, like, they shouldn't be, you know, they, oh, you really should be getting uh, that, you know, fifteen ninety nine ground beef at whatever. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it Bible is, it, it is a little bit like you're, you're, if you're condemning collective action, then you do save yourself from, from, from condemning any individual, including yourself. Um, I don't know that that's what you want to say. I, I think that you probably think that it's wrong of you, upon reflection, to not go out of your way because you, you're not poor you could do other well things. i do yeah and i and i do go out of my way to do it but i see it's not collective action except at like the government level or the institutional level that it's that i speak it's, out so strong it's the illuminati let's just say it it's the illuminati who is like totally conspired by the way one of the findings that i think is interesting that might work in your case is that that um we're we're better with people who s- condemn an action but admit to performing the action Oh so, yeah, yeah. Right. So, so you could just say, "I think it's wrong." I just, you know, I'm just weak sometimes. Like I wish. <laughs> this is what Paul Bloom says about vegetarianism. He's like, right, <laughs> right. Yeah, so right. Get- so, so what I was doing was, in some ways, just now, this confessional <laughs> was like a savvy move on my part. <laughs> well, let's call it that. <laughs> I wasn't doing it for that reason, but you're right. Yeah. So somebody who who condemns an action but then confesses also to having weak will sometimes and doing it, they are no longer condemned like the moral hypocrites. Right, right. 
And that makes sense because then you're not like that's in keeping with their theory. You're not trying to send out. It's you're making it clear that you that this isn't something that people should celebrate your virtue about. Right, and it's it's giving people a more informed uh, um, picture that they can then decide whether they want to trust you. I mean, you can imagine um, that the rate of men who who cheat on their spouses. Um, and I don't know what it, what it actually is, and I don't actually know if there's a gender difference. But just imagine that it's it's much higher than people would admit in a survey. Um, so you could say, imagine a man who says cheating is completely wrong, and you're trying to decide whether or not to date that man. If they proclaim that cheating is wrong, and uh, you o- that's the only information that you have, and then they cheat, that was deception. But if they say, you know, cheating is wrong, but I've I got to admit I'm tempted sometimes and I've done it before and I wish I hadn't, at least you can use that information. Now you could right. say like, okay, do I want to trust somebody who has this particular weakness? And it's it's not deceptive in yeah. in that you know figuring out who you can trust and and a strong aversion to deception is what's driving these character yeah. evaluations. I this coincide when I talked to Anthony Appiah, we were talking about honor cultures and specific specifically and what, you know, some common values were across honor cultures. And the big one he said is honesty, because the whole honor system works by people distributing honor to people who are worthy of their accomplishments based on the norms of that society. They're going to get high honor based on what they've actually done. And if you can't trust that people have done what they've actually done, if you can't trust that they've performed the achievements, the whole honor framework kind of collapses. It can't work. It can't function properly. So um, so I think that's what's driving this. You know, even in non-honor cultures, we have this instinctive need can we broaden this i wanted to to like what exactly counts as moral hypocrisy so they seem to define it as condemning an action and then performing the action and i wonder like if we could broaden the category and it would still count as moral hypocrisy so i came up with three cases see what you think um, whether they're hypocritical or not and i guess this is trying to distinguish moral hypocrisy from moral inconsistency or double standards or something like that. So um, here's the first case. Uh, Lola argues for the pro-life position on abortion, condemns euthanasia on the grounds of the sanctity of life, but she's pro-capital punishment. She speaks out in favor of capital punishment. Right. Is that hypocrisy? This came up, we, we discussed this paper in our pro-seminar with grad, with grad students, and, and some of this came up. I think it really matters whether or not she has a lucid belief that she is not inconsistent, right? So it's hard to know what to make of self-deception, but at, at the very least, like, if you really think that it's not... A, so you could imagine that, that she thinks, well, I mean, guilty people should be killed, but innocent people like babies shouldn't. And th- this might get her out of that apparent inconsistency. Right. right. I think she might be hypocritical if you're really convinced that she's inconsistent in some in some way. But but the way that I don't think she is, is as acute or her own deceptive intent. Like, I don't think that she's that if she sincerely believes that she's consistent. Yeah. That it's right to call her a, a, a hypocrite in, in that she doesn't have the mental state of, of sort of deceiving and and she's not even really actively engaging in uh, deception. So I guess right. like 
it would be one thing if she argued for pro-life on abortion and then had an abortion. But um, in this case, these are two things, and yeah, they're arguably inconsistent, but not even definitely inconsistent. But I do think in terms of evaluating her position, you're right. The question is, you know, is she just doing these things because it's party line? And right. because that's what people in her group believe, so that's what she believes, without even wrestling with, you know, what seems on the surface like what might be, there might be a tension, or right. is she doing it, you know, out of sincere conviction? And then if right. it's sincere conviction, then it's probably definitely not hypocrisy. Right. Um, even know, if the reasoning is a little messed up or something like that. Yeah, and and it's it's um, I, sometimes you just have to sort of make a kind of judgment call about if there is if there's a level of self deception or sort of ignoring the evidence or not not tackling the the issue in a consistent way. Like how how deep is that? Um, some people have have said Democrats are are hypocrites because they're so indignant about the the immigration ban from Trump. But were they when Carter did something similar? Right. And it's like when somebody said that the other day, I was like, I didn't even fucking know Carter had done something similar. <laughs> like, so I can't be accused of inconsistency when like I don't, five don't even old. know. Right? Yeah. yeah but no, like but it's like Obama <laughs> uh, suspended the Iraqi immigration program in right. 2012. I think, you know, people made a lot of hay about that. And right. So are I we mean, being hypocrites? Right. To, and and uh, once I know that, am I being a hypocrite? Well, I think the burden is on me to flesh out exactly why I think this is different, or or right. else I can't go on condemning it at least as a, you know, as a general. Like, right. it, I think I would be hypocritical to say generally it's completely bullshit to unless I then condemn Obama and Carter for doing the same thing. Yeah, right. which is another way out of that situation. It's probably right. true that you know when Obama did something along those lines, we just had more trust that he mm -hmm. was doing it for good reasons if he was doing it. And probably that trust sometimes was misapplied, right. you know, like definitely I think with his drone program. But right. <laughs> I condemn the drone program, and yet I've launched like several drones against uh, Yemen myself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, here's another case. Ava condemns the University of Colorado for terminating... Um, Ward Churchill, the professor at Colorado, for referring uh -huh. to people at the World Trade Center as little Eichmanns. But then Ava celebrates the Berkeley protesters who who marched and led to the cancellation of a campus talk by that guy My Milo Milo Yuka, oh, yeah. whatever the fuck Milo something. Yapolopoulos. <laughs> yeah, um, is that hypocritical? Wait. So, how is this different? Because I, I, I would still say, like, if there's, if she has good reason to, right? If she thinks that she has good reason to say that it is, it is apt in one case and not in another. Yeah. So um, maybe this is they're two different. One of them is like firing a, a professor. The other is, you know, somebody giving a talk. Um, what if I did it like, you know, she s condemns when. Liberty University doesn't, you know, uh, cancels the invitation of a speaker who's from Planned Parenthood or something like that, but then celebrates. So, in other words, it, it seems like 
and 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 you could do this on the other side too, where the right is constantly obsessing yeah. about when you know, speakers like Condoleezza Rice are canceled, but then um, turn a blind eye to some of, of somebody who's anti-Israel or something gives a talk, and then they're they're fine with that person's speech getting canceled. Right. So right. Um, so in other words, it really does seem like the same thing. You're not doing you're not doing the cancellation, maybe, but you're. You you're seem like it. you're only mad when it's your side of the debate that's getting yeah. stifled. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think we have, uh, I think you're pointing to uh, sort of a com- a complexity in the way we evaluate these things because I like we're doing some pretty fine grained on analysis of what people are what their mental state is here. So I'll give you an example of when I think. It's clear. So, so I think hypocrisy involves something like the person recognizing the inconsistency, or at least it being so easy to recognize that they are being willfully ignorant. It, it, um, yeah. Right. So, so the self-deception isn't so deep that they that it's just that they don't notice it. Because if they don't notice it at all, they might be. In, we could accuse them of inconsistency, but I, I don't think they would be called hypocrites. Yeah. But I'll give you an example. Um, I this is a a study that that uh, we, we collected data on. This was with Eric Ullman, and I don't know if it. Uh, I don't think it ever made its way into a paper, but it was not s- even an edited volume. <laughs> not even another volume. No. Uh, so imagine that um, a joke store, like a you know novelty gift store, sells um, toilet paper. It was toilet paper with the image of Muhammad on it. Yeah. Or toilet paper with, a, I don't remember who we used. Maybe it was the image of, of MLK or Obama or something. Uh, we asked people whether they thought it was objectionable. Um, and But specifically, we asked people whether or not uh, free speech was a principle that ought to be defended at any cost. Yeah. And what you would get is just this, whatever they believed about the specific instance you know about how rude it was to, or how wrong, yeah. disrespectful it was to to put the prophet on there, or to put MLK. Like they completely just changed their views on the general principle. Like that, I think is is a simple case of hypocrisy. When you defend free speech for only for shit you like, but don't defend it for shit you don't like. Then I think that you are you're in danger of hypocrisy there. Like, so to play devil's advocate, why isn't that just a case of reflective equilibrium, adjusting your general principle based on intuitions about a particular case? Well, it'd be fine if if then you adjusted the principle, but it's really endorsing a blanket principle in one case and rejecting a blanket principle in another case. So you know, it's selectively right. like I I don't think there was any and to be fair maybe we didn't give them the chance to do that, but um but I don't think that what was going on is people were saying yeah, actually like when I see both of them here is here is the adjustment to free speech that I think you should make. So, you know, swastikas on eBay shouldn't be covered un- under free speech and here's why I think that's an important exception or something like that. Um I think that they're they were falling back on this you know the the power of a principle is to say like this this stands no matter what, right? Yeah, I, I think some of these like the first two cases are. I don't know if hypocrisy is the best word as much as a kind of highly partisan polarized double standard 
that right. is sometimes applied. But I do think you're right that there's the deception is a little a, is 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 not is absent here or the intent to deceive yeah and this is, is where that evolutionary story you know well yeah. I, I suppose you don't need the evolutionary story but but i think that is what what this this paper is trying to at least argue where it's like okay is it a cue even though they don't explicitly mention um accuse the character here but i think really what you want to know is 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 this a cue to your overall trustworthiness and I think that in some of this partisan stuff or whatever, in other cases where motivated reasoning is, is hard at work, I think that we would say they could maybe they're wrong, but I don't think that they're that they're untrustworthy. Right. <laughs> right. Like Bill O'Reilly, you just expect him to be a partisan hack. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, like, so he's not deceiving you. You just know that he's going to be a partisan from uh, uh, Jackie Brown. You can't trust, you can't no. trust Melanie, but you can trust Melanie to be Melanie. No, I don't understand why you keep someone around your business. You can't even trust them. I ain't got to trust that. I know her. Mm, I don't know what that means, man. Well, you can't trust Melanie, but you can always trust Melanie to be Melanie. Well, I, I don't understand why you keep the fuck around. I told you, man. She my fine little surfer gal. You know, she ain't pretty as she used to be, and she bitch a whole lot more than she used to. But she white. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, right. Hey, you know, this is actually why, uh, you know, um, Malcolm X sort of famously said that he respects KKK members. At least they, at least they, you know where they stand. Right? You know where they stand, right? All right, last case. Uh, Skyler tells her friends that Janice is such a slut, but then goes to third base with Isaiah on their third date. <laughs> I, this is uh, Skyler. Um, Skyler. I, I, <laughs> Skyler. I think that that's just... <laughs> Is that moral hypocrisy? I don't know. I guess it depends on what she means by slut. Right? <laughs> this is, I don't even... This is... <laughs> it's not even... Um, if a boy did it, <laughs> they're definitely not sluts. Um, the boy no, is not studs. a slut. I, if, if there was a case where somebody just said, like, going to third base with somebody on a first date is slutty behavior... And then yeah. they themselves did it, then yeah, because they're morally condemning. That's what slut shaming is. Yeah, you know, like um, yeah. <laughs> and, but that's so Skyler. It's totally Skyler. She totally is like. She's that. such a bitch. <laughs> I think the cases of behavior tend to be more what we mean by hypocrites, where it's not just an inconsistency in beliefs, but uh, but a case where you really behave in a way that goes against what you say. But I but do we have the same intuition when it's when it's clearly weakness of will? So there's something about the performance enhancing drugs that's just super uh deliberate where you you know every day you're injecting yeah. your ass. But like and you have you to know, get it, had, you have to go like through a lot of processes yeah, right, right, to get right. it. There's no, to, yeah. It's not a cratic like um there are cases, though, where you say, like, um, you know, uh, growing up in a religion, right? It's like when you hear that a pastor had an affair, that's like the worst, right? You're just like, oh, my yeah. God, what a fucking hypocrite. Here he is every week. 
Um, but but now nowadays I think well, look there, but for the grace of God go I. Right, where we're in the right situation, you can imagine that somebody's going to lose control, and it's it's not to justify it, but it's it seems like they're not necessarily a hypocrite if they if there was one instance of of weakness of will. So breaking news: infidelity is not wrong. <laughs> because no, you right. know one thing leads to another you have a few drinks <laughs> no, it's wrong it's just not hypocritical it's not hypocritical yeah. right because you because in fact what it takes to be weakness of will is that you still endorse that it was wrong right yeah. because if if it's not weak you know or else it's just like just doing it right i don't like it Fuck cheating. Like, cheating's not wrong. I'm going to just do it, right? But if you believe it's wrong, that that's where your will can fail you. Yeah. And I think you can sincerely believe it's... You, you can genuinely believe that it's wrong. And then, in you know, infidelity, like cheating, that's sort of a classic case of something where you are guided not necessarily by your best right. self in the moment. It's instances where, and I don't even know if this is psychologically a very true, but it's instances of like repeated behavior that make us think something's a hypocrite, right? If they continue yeah. to do something, right. um, but yet preach out against it. So John Doris has this paper when he was back arguing um, about situationism, and he says, look, knowing that the situations can influence behavior to an exceptionally strong degree, the, the part of not cheating on your spouse isn't after your fourth drink where you're at a party at two in the morning at it or, you know, you're out at two <laughs> yeah. in the morning. That's not where you can trust yourself <laughs> to stand by your principles. It's in not the times where, you know, you're going to have much more control over whether you cheat or do you put yourself in those kinds of positions. So, right. um, so that's, I, th I think that's probably right. But at the same time, sometimes you are in those positions and if the situational forces are powerful enough, it doesn't, again, it's wrong, but doesn't necessarily make you a hypocrite. Well, you know, like Gandhi, I like to just put myself in, in situations like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> to test yourself this? test myself like he would to test his powers of chastity he would s sleep with you know naked women young naked women um, <laughs> really yeah, that's what they say <laughs> I, i'm pretty sure that's just a, an established can fact. you like would that work if you're hey uh skylar janice <laughs> I want to be like Gandhi and test my powers of chastity. Can you guys be naked and <laughs> I, sleep I beside just, me? I would be just like, well, I, I guess, I guess I failed that test. Failed that yeah. test. Oh, just so I keep testing myself. You know, it's yeah. like taking the GRE multiple times. You know? Sometimes you <laughs> right. have to. Sometimes you have to take the GRE more than once. To, to they only take your last score, right? So <laughs> all you finally, have to do is on that finally, last time, just like that third time, I, yeah. I actually didn't. I just fell right asleep. <laughs> um, here's something that came up uh, from our grad students: um, is this is hypocrisy? Is it only in moral cases? Like, do you, is is are there not cases where uh, a non-moral 
inconsistency between an action and a state. Like, suppose, is, is that an instance of hypocrisy? Suppose I tell you, Tamler, um, everybody ought to exercise daily. Like, that's just, y you, like, yeah. that's the, the easiest way to have, a, a, a like, good health. Like, people who don't do it um, are are just damaging. Like, it's a good, it's a, just a good principle to exercise. And, and then you find out that I never exercise. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem as bad to me for, right. you know, like I guess because because when I think signaling? about why, right. like it gets worse if I actually view it as a moral. Like if I think that right. it's immoral to not exercise some somehow, then it gets bad. Yeah, but if it's just like a, you know, you should all like you should always run an antivirus on your computer, like an right. antivirus program on your computer, and you find out that I don't. Like, yeah. who the fuck like, cares? Who, right? who cares? Right? <laughs> like, it's and either guess, good advice or it's, or it's not. <laughs> I guess because, again, like the deception there is not serious enough to matter. I don't need to trust whether you'll keep to your diet or keep to your exercise regimen. In fact, you might even get a flip of their finding that lying, There's straightforward worse. lying. Yeah, yeah. Where if I just said, yeah, I totally run antivirus on my uh, program on my computer and you realize that I don't. <laughs> what the fuck, dude? This guy's a liar. I bet you would. Yeah, that's yeah. my predict. That would be what yeah, I would yeah. predict. That's interesting. You should run that. Yeah. Or Rosanna Summers. I'll, I'll, I'll ask my sister to run. <laughs> um, you must be related. This, this has to be. Has to. Has be. to be. How many Summers can there be? <laughs> Suzanne. Yeah. And uh, and that's it. I think she was Suzanne one M or two. It might have been one M. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a thigh master in tribute to your? Long lost. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what she did? She did. She the was thigh the thigh master, master for a long time. Yeah. yeah. So the, and the yeah, one, one for M. the the starving children was Sally Struthers. Sally Struthers. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> the two blonde sitcom stars. Suzanne <laughs> Summers right. was Three's Company. <clears throat> yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> the regal. The God, regal TV has Beagle. gotten better. <laughs> I don't know, man. That was a great show, Larry. Mr. Furley. <laughs> Mr. Uh, Furley. Don Knotts. Uh, it was just all him being in the living room while they're talking in the kitchen about, like, sticking something in. Stick it, you know, stick it in all, there. They're talking about the oven and, like, yeah, he's just as, sitting as there, said, like, with oh, his mouth. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't remember where it's from, but somebody had a line where, like, remember that Three's Company, the one about the misunderstanding? Um, so it's just, <laughs> That's right. All right. Anyway, uh, all right. let's wrap this up. Um, we will be back next time with the new Very Bad Wizards.